0: Untitled Beatles podcast. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm
1: Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff. And boy, do we have a show for you today. A show so nice. Let's do it twice. (laughs) All right.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I wasn't going to say anything. That just came to mind. I apologize. I love it. Well,
0: so, yes, full disclosure. This is our second time recording this uh, episode.
1: The first one, the FCC deems so hot. And so full of sex. <laughs> they said you can't really. My microphone, yeah.
0: Sex Voice, needs work. They said it was uh, too buttery. Incredibly um, so <laughs> <Hot, laughs> no, we, buttery. We had a, a technical error, and so we have to, uh, we're going to do it again. And so, uh, yeah, that's what this will be.
1: Part Twice. of. Twice. You learn in lady improv, quote-unquote, hashtag got your back. And I have my partner Tony's back, so I won't admit that the technical difficulty was kind of a pretty dumb Tony fuck-up. I mean, and I got your back, dude, but let's be cool for a minute. I uh, forgot to hit record on my audio the last time we recorded this. Now, hold this. on. Yes. Now hold
0: on. In your defense, I saw you hit record, but it didn't take. That's well, what happened.
1: I think I had so many screens up. Hashtag so many screens. I um I didn't. I thought I hit record and didn't because <laughs> I've got my like mixer and keyboard going through GarageBand and I have Zoom open and I have QuickTime open. Yeah, man. so yeah, man.
0: It happened. It happened, and here we are. It's so like we're
1: g- computers, <laughs> chicks, and football—three things you can't control. That's my motto. <laughs>
0: Where's the fucking bell? <laughs> TJ Dice Shannon. Oh, off, ladies oh and, gentlemen. and
1: another thing. <laughs> Smoke him if you little boy blue, he needed a blow job. <laughs> it was a terrible I knew I knew every every oh, word were you of into that. that? Back, yeah. I remember
0: kids on the bus playing that stuff. Or at least reciting it. That's what it was. They were doing his material in the
1: bus. Pretty so. b- That and jerky boys were a bad phase of my life. Oh, and I murdered You're- three people.
0: Oh, good. Well, how'd that go, sizzle chest? (laughs) It's
1: chisel chest.
0: (laughs) Well, we are going to talk about the Star Club tapes uh, that the Beatles recorded in Hamburg, Germany. Uh, And that's a misnomer. So the Beatles did not record these. Uh, They were recorded by the owner of the Star Club. In uh, December of 1962, their very last
1: residency in Hamburg, and they were taped over a series of nights. I don't know if they have the exact nights, but they know it's the week between Christmas and New Year's.
0: Yes, yes, it was there. So let's do a little history here. I'll make this brief. They had six residencies in total in Hamburg, uh, and I'm going to say Hamburg. Okay, so just deal with that. It's um,
1: pronounced Hamburgesa. <laughs>
0: I like that. Thank you. That pleases my Cuban roots.
1: (laughs) Cuban favorite miniseries. Let's just.
0: Cuban
1: Roots.
0: Yeah. How come <laughs> Cuban Roots doesn't get the attention?
1: Not many people know that Roots was regionalized for, for repeated yeah. Yeah.
0: airings. Oh, every, every country has it. It's great. <laughs> Go find yours. Scandinavian
1: um. Roots was the most boring 20 minutes I've ever seen.
0: Um, so they had six residencies in total. In 1960, they started at the Indra Club from August 17th to October 3rd. Uh, That club closed down, and they moved to the Kaiser Keller from October 4th through November 28th. And then in 61, they were at the Top Ten Club from April 1st to July 1st. And then in 62, they had three residences at the Star Club, April 13th through May 31st, 48 nights, 172 hours, one day off. November 1st through the 14th, 14 nights, 49 hours. And this final one, December 18th through the 31st, 13 nights, 39 hours. They had a backline of Fender amps. John played a Rickenbacker 325. Paul played his Hofner violin bass. And George got his brand new used 1957 Gretsch, Gretsch flat duo jet, which made that was kind of the quintessential Beatles sound for, you know, Beatlemania.
1: And uh, the one thing that was different pre-Beatlemania in this very last, and this is... For more historical context, Love Me Do had been recorded and released two or three months prior to these Star Club dates, so they'd already had a deal with Parlophone to release that single. They were about a month away from heading into the studio to record Please Please Me, and in fact, there's a fair amount of songs on this album uh, that are also on Please Please Me.
0: Yes, yes. The album Please Please Me is what you mean. They actually already had the single Please Please Me in the can,
1: Yes, they recorded it in the bathroom.
0: <laughs> right. For that John Bonham drum sound they were trying to get.
1: <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, no tracks better than John Bonham playing drums on Beware, My Love. Remember how that was oh, hyped like when that. Wings I- at the... Spe- I'm, I'm kind of being facetious. It's no different than what Joe English or former bull Jojo English playing drums on that song, whatever iteration of Wings that was. Uh, but all the hype are like, dude, this wi- Wings of the Speed of Sound may be a terrible album, but wait till you hear remastered Cook of the House. And there's a bonus <laughs> track of John Bonham playing drums on Beware My I'm Like, what the hell? <laughs> okay, I'll spend $112 on the deluxe set. <laughs> fine.
0: I like Cook of the House. But yeah,
1: it, it's fine. It's terrible. It's my least favorite. Like, wildlife.
0: Oh, that's off yeah. like, my list. I put that on, a, on my m- Maca Mix.
1: Uh, dude, by, by the way, my wife and I had a conversation about this a couple days ago when I said "maka," and she thought I was saying MAGA. Oh, God. She was like, what do you... Yeah. So you almost can't say "maka" anymore, at least not for a little while.
0: <laughs> oh, no, here's the thing about that real quick. No, you s- continue to say it. You don't let them have it. When something is okay to me, I'm still going to make a sign that says, okay, because this means okay. <laughs> All right. This doesn't mean anything else but okay. If you turn it upside if down, you, you're an asshole. Fuck you. But yeah, I'm still gonna do it. You're totally this.
1: right. If an okay sign upside down is like a Proud Boys thing, right?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought and you said here's Prog a, I thought you said prog boys and I was like, Oh Yeah. It's
1: it's a Prog Boys <laughs> thing. That's what yes does and that's yes what Emerson Lake and Palmer does. does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, how they play. I, <laughs> My my only problem with yes is that uh, seeing all good people isn't fucking longer. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, producer, like, let's, can we add two more keychains down? I've seen all good people. Yeah. Yeah. I I have very low patience for
0: that. I remember being in eighth grade and listening to CKG a lot and being like, huh, they played this song a lot. (laughs)
1: dude you and i were listening to ckg at the same ckg in that era like 87 88 is where i learned who the fuck thin lizzy was oh yeah man it's where i learned aliota haynes and jeremiah
0: me too i love that song
1: uh some of my first led zeppelin was that's where i heard misty mountain hop for the first time i'll never forget it where i was like what is this so yeah yeah man ckg 87 88 but Uh, As we talk about kind of rock, so by the late 70s, when this album was finally released, recorded in the winter of 1962, uh, when this album was finally released, it was 1977. There were legal battles forever. Uh, They tried, uh, Ted King Size Taylor, who had the tapes, tried to sell it to Brian Epstein. uh, Mm -hmm. And Epstein was like, here's 20 pounds, go fuck yourself.
0: Yeah, Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He offered it to Brian Epstein. So, yeah, he taped them. He knew they were going to be big. Uh, This guy, Ted King Size Taylor, he was in a band called the Dominoes, who played with the Beatles. They were like friends. In fact, they had Christmas dinner together that year and they went to some church. And unbeknownst to to them, they were fed horse steaks and they ate horse (laughs) on Christmas.
1: Now, I'm Jewish. I always thought all non Jews ate horse for Christmas. Like, we like Chinese, <laughs> non Jews eat horse. The horse is a horse, of course. <laughs> That's a reference nobody gets anymore. That's a sign of age. And like, oh, Mr. Ed, who's Mr. Ed? The talking horse.
0: They took that off syndication a long time ago. So is
1: Mr. Ed racist?
0: <laughs> Probably. I bet you look back at some episode and like, you know, you know
1: Wilbur, you can't let those Jews move in next door. <laughs> what? Mr. Ed, oh, horse is a horse. <laughs> Go back and watch Mr. Redden. Everything he says is (laughs) anti-Semitic.
0: Hey, man, different time. (laughs) So it should be noted that this was not professionally recorded in any way. This was done on a single microphone. I have the notes. Let me get the fucking notes. I'm sorry.
1: It's a 1988 Tozai microphone from Radio Shack. (laughs) Remember Tozai? (laughs) Kind of.
0: (laughs) Okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay, so it was recorded by the Star Club manager, Adrian Barber, or however you say it, using a It's Grundig. Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, you own the Star Club. All right. Uh, a gründig. So this is like a home tape recorder, like a reel-to-reel machine, and a single microphone placed at basically like the lip of the stage. And so it has this real lo-fi bootleg quality. It sounds a lot like the, the Velvet Underground record live at Max's Kansas City.
1: Which is my favorite Velvet Underground record all about wet rub ribs. <laughs> is it wet rub or dry rub in Kansas City?
0: Uh, Memphis does dry rub.
1: Yeah, Kansas City's a it's a wet rub.
0: Yeah, Kansas City is a wet rub. I actually Do you- I love out of all the ribs, Kansas City is my favorite. It is. Uh, but Max's Kansas City was a New York. <laughs>
1: Right, but it was a still an album about, about rib-eating, right? Rib-eating and country-loving. Well, yeah, the, country yeah loving. the
0: album, Lou Reed wrote. <laughs> all the songs are about <laughs> eating ribs, yeah. Long, tall, cowboy, bill, long, lonesome, whatever it is, lonesome cowboy, bill. Um. I remember the
1: original <laughs> pressings came with a paper napkin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I wish I'd hung onto my. I wish I had. I used it. I used it to eat ribs one night. What a dummy! I should have hung onto that. Just like my Walter Payton Wheaties box that I had. That we that I we had opened up and eaten, and then we're like, oh, let's uh, save it, and then we wrapped it in Saran wrap for like 15 years. I'm like,
1: what are we doing? So <laughs> stupid. I to your point, the low fidelity, the bootleg kind of quality. When this thing came out it barely caused a ripple it charted but it didn't quote unquote sell right i mean people weren't no. people weren't buying this in the same numbers they were buying even rock and roll music and love songs and the compilations kind of from around that era the hollywood bowl album which was an official capital album came out a month later in 77 and that was a huge seller but people kept talking about how bad the sound quality was for this Uh, Two things on that, Tony. Hollywood Bowl, at least the original pressing before they cleaned it up a couple years ago, sounded terrible with the screaming fans. To me, that original pressing sounds worse than the original Star Club album. Interesting. I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it totally does. And with punk being so in vogue at the time... Where low fidelity was like a thing. What was the complaint about this? In retrospect, this album sounds pretty damn fine.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really cool, and I think you nailed it on the head with the punk thing. Like a, the energy on this record is very punk rock, and the tempos are up there. I mean, it's not like hardcore or whatever, but it's faster than a lot of Sex Pistols songs were at that in that year. And um yeah, I I, I think it has. I, you know. I think people's ears weren't used to the bootleg quality thing yet. You know, like Guided by Voices, the lo-fi thing, and the 90s hadn't happened yet, and this and that. So I think our ears are just more used to lower-fidelity things. (laughs) And honestly, that's the way it is now, too, even with, like, (laughs) Zoom calls and even, like, some radio broadcasts you hear. It's this really digital... Low quality sound file you're listening to, I think as a society, we're just tolerating uh, less quality.
1: Well, and first <laughs> of all, Neil Young's fighting that good fight with his expensive music system nobody understands.
0: Right, right.
1: And-
0: <laughs> that you can only play his music on.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> like, do I really want to hear Harvest Moon again? Like, it's fine.
0: <laughs> well, I like uh, Neil Young. I like Neil Young, but I, I, I but love Neil yeah. Young.
1: I like Greendale, That's how much I love Neil Young. I like some of the weird uh, later stuff, but I will tell you, I get all my music on LimeWire, which is the sound quality is really good. I just down, I rip torrents on LimeWire. That's how I get all my '90s music, and that's how I get every episode of Night Court. <laughs> <laughs> You know, John Larroquette
0: did the voiceover for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did he really? Yeah. He's the first voice you
1: hear in that movie. And now he's eaten at a Texas roadhouse. <laughs>
0: at Max's Kansas City. <laughs> which
1: uh, Quote, unquote, <laughs> home of the wet rub.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the music. So it's a lot of covers, man. They, they do two originals. Uh, ask Me Why, and I saw her standing there. But uh, the rest...
1: Both before they were to be recorded yeah. on um, at the Please Please Me session.
0: Right, right. So I think it's fun. Yeah, the energy's great. Twist and Shout is real fun. I love that it's that short version where it's just like chorus, verse, chorus, <laughs> out. It's like a minute and a half. I mean, it's the definition of punk rock. Uh, and it's a nice blistering pace, lo-fi, I'm not a big twist and shout guy, but uh, I like that. I like this version especially.
1: Well, you once told me your favorite version was the one with the overdubbed horns from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> with the marching Fuck band Ferris horns. Bueller. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you something. This is not easy to say. As a Chicagoan, Chicago native, and someone who grew up with that movie, I used to love that movie so much. And now I think I have zero patience for it. None. I think he sucks.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a bratty asshole. I, I remember liking Cameron. I liked the Cameron character. I identified
1: with him being
0: the, <laughs> not the rich kid part, but like him staring into the painting. And it's a
1: great scene. That scene with the, the great band, the Dream Academy, doing an instrumental version of a uh, a Smith song, I think. Is
0: that what it is? I, I forget. Yeah, I I've think, actually only I don't seen know. it a handful of times because I never quite, I didn't like the character of Ferris Bueller, I thought. Anyway, I,
1: we're, I, lo- I loved it because I grew up in the city and I felt like it was like a cool city movie when I was 12 and 13. I went to it. high school. I went to high school with a kid who shook the Pepsi can and said, raising money for Ferris. Remember that kid in the oh, hallway?
0: Right. That's so funny.
1: that was a big fucking deal. My high school at him and Nancy Reagan. Don't hate me. I'm not a dick. I can be <laughs> if I'm crossed. <laughs>
0: Well, uh there's also a lot of songs on here that, you know, they didn't ever commit to tape. Things like Falling in Love, which is a fun waltz that Paul sings. And I also really like the version of Besame Mucho that's on there. The drumming's really hot and there's some harmonies in here that I I've never I haven't heard on any of this, you know, their audition tapes and stuff.
1: Well, I think that DECA audition, which was at the very beginning of the year, right? Wasn't that January of 62, I think? did New Year's Day, I think.
0: Yeah, it was New Year's Day, exactly.
1: And uh, what a testament how great Ringo Starr is comparing that Pete Best kind of drumming on Besame Mucho to what Ringo does on this. That alone is an argument to have let Pete go. I mean, Ringo's drumming, this whole album, Ringo's drumming is hot. It's about yeah. the best drumming he's ever put on record consistently. He's pushing those guys. And Paul is in lot. That rhythm section is so tight and so aggressive.
0: Yeah, man. It's fun. Like, you really hear it on that song Red Hot, that wonderful song. Mm-hmm. And even, like, th- th- something about that song, Red Hot, one of my favorite songs, I think the first version I ever heard was done by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Famous for willy-billy. these 104.3, <laughs>
1: riding along in my automobile. <laughs> but I think
0: I heard like an organ in there. So, I, I mean, it's possible. I know Paul was playing a piano back at the top 10 club. So maybe someone brought an organ in one night. Maybe one of the other groups had an organ. Who knows? It was 62, so... Anything was possible, <laughs> even the, a Vox Continental organ.
1: <laughs> well, and there's a few songs, and there's different iterations of the Star Club album. It's been released over and over again. We should talk quickly about the fact that this album cannot be purchased in stores or online. I mean, you go to like a, like a Reckless or like a used record store. But sure. in 96, right around Anthology, the Beatles took control of these Hamburg tapes for the first time. But in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, different companies all over the world, uh, Ling Song or Song, which is a division of Atlantic, released it originally. And Pickwick Records, Sony had its hands on it for a while. I've got a CD of it on Sony, a KTEL version. I'm holding in my hand an original Japanese pressing of this that still sounds pretty good from 85. I think it's one of the very first Beatles CDs ever issued. It's predated the core catalog by two years. So this material was in record stores for years and years, for two decades, and then poof, the Beatles bought it. None of it made its way on the anth- on anthology one. No, and you can't you can't hear this. I mean, you can go to YouTube, but this has not officially been released by the Beatles at any point since they purchased the rights. It's kind of strange that some of their best live work, and they only really have two officially released, is something you can't buy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that you can't stream it either. So yeah, the only thing you can do is yeah, if you want to hear it, it's on YouTube. Um, and there's a there's a cool YouTube link. I actually just found it on a a Reverb.com uh, article about all the gear that they used while they were in Hamburg and they have a link to the full sets. So you actually hear all those gaps between songs. Um, so it's not just like song, song, song. You hear, It's like, it's like a real local band playing where they take like a minute between each song to like, what are we going to play next? And then, you know, smoke a cigarette and, <laughs> Take a bite out of a cheese roll or whatever, you know.
1: Pop a red pill.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. So, right, they were known to do preludin. I think is what they it's called. It's uh, George Harrison claims it's not an amphetamine, but it was an upper. So it was something
1: that. Thank you, George. They could. (laughs) I'll see you in Crackerbox Palace. Thank you for your. uh, (laughs) We've been expecting you. Well, that was the cool thing about
0: Hamburg, and I feel like such a. A hole saying Hamburg, but, well, but anyway, it, it was
1: Escher and it was Escher right. until it became Esher in 2018. You're right. call would you want?
0: All right, I guess I'll say Hamburg, but I'll probably go back and forth because that's my right. Um. I'm an American. <laughs> yeehaw, yeehaw!
1: hap 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 Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't want to be a hypocrite. I was super into the Dukes of Hazard, and then I stopped being twelve. <laughs>
0: Well, what's great about them being in Hamburg is that uh, they went from basically being an amateur band to being a professional band. They went from being an entertaining band to being artists. This is where they met Klaus Vormann, who later became their friend. He designed the album cover art for, you know, Revolver. He played bass with the Plastic Ono Band. He did many other things. played
1: bass on Instant Karma.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, and has been a lifelong friend. That's also where they met at the time. Of his yours? Girlfriend.
1: <laughs> it like, you, yeah, ba- man. you buried the lead, Holmes. Oh, yeah.
0: You should hear the, the podcast me and Klaus do. It's, Klaus Schuler, never...
1: former Second City producer.
0: <laughs> yeah. And You're we never go off on tangents. We we stick to the topic. That's the thing. He's very German that way. Klaus Schuler. The trains
1: um, run on time. <laughs> Klaus Vormann,
0: <laughs> Klaus Vormann, Astrid Kircher, uh, and that was that was uh, the woman who basically gave them their style and introduced them to art. Fell in love with Stewart, right?
1: Yeah, and took yeah. took some of the best of the early photos of them. Right, she documented much of their those early '60s years uh, with her photography.
0: That's where the Beatles stepped it up and were thinking in the long game about what they wanted to be. Did they just want to be a combo that made, you know, whatever, a few quid a night or did they want to be bigger? And you really see it when they had eight hours per night to fill with just music and you know they learned how to do mock show as they were told. I guess when they mock show,
1: fir- mock show.
0: When they first arrived, they weren't that good. They didn't put on much of a show, and the German people, all drunk, were like mock show, mock show. And so they learned to cut it up. And John wore a toilet seat on his head. And you know they 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 played. They did. They worked blue or whatever. You know. I,
1: I'm going to send you. This is a preview for a podcast we've not discussed. Tony and I like to do all our behind the scenes work on the actual show. We we feel like it's a uh it's a, it's a it's a good easter egg, right?
0: B- BTSOA, hey. Behind the Scenes on the Air.
1: BTSOA. Uh I'm going to send you the movie that first kind of got me after the Play Beatlemania. It's a movie that Dick Clark Productions made maybe in 78 or 79. It predated it predated John Lennon's assassination, called Birth of the Beatles with music they even say music by rain like one of the first beatles tribute (laughs) bands which i love called rain and it's it's how i learned about these early years and you might have seen it It and maybe recessed in the back of your mind it was on abc and then rerun a lot on channel seven for those of us from chicago i I don't
0: think i've ever seen it
1: i I dubbed a, a videotape of it i made in 80 or 81 Whoa. On I, I made a digital file of it, I'll send you. It's not perfect, but this is how I learned so much of that era. And the 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 fights, the fights with fans. They were the, Hamburg was rough. Hamburg was nasty back then. So they, they really part of the reason they kind of became artists is they grew up in Hamburg. They grew up in ways they couldn't have done at the cavern or just performing in, in England. It's true, man.
0: And yeah, and what you say about it being rough. Is for real. I guess every time they played Hully Gully, some kind of fight would break out. Sometimes they were tear gassed. uh You know, if fights got out of hand, then the, the authorities would come in and tear gas the room. And then the Beatles joked that they too would end up crying at the end of their set. But like waiters and bartenders would get their knives out if, you know, people didn't pay their bills. And I love this. I uh, I forget where I got this from, but George Harrison... I think it's from the anthology book. George Harrison said that these bartenders and stuff carried truncheons, cauches, and knuckle dusters.
1: <laughs>
0: Gotta <laughs> love the British, man.
1: Knuckle dusters is my favorite sports <laughs> bar in Des Moines, Iowa. Come on down to knuckle <laughs> dusters. It's ladies in tank top night, maybe getting in a fight.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mud wrestling... Dwarf tossing, all that stuff—you can find it at Knuckle Dusters. You know what they say there? It's 1984 at Knuckle Dusters.
1: <laughs> or well, that ends well at Knuckle <laughs> Dusters. Yeah, come to kn- come for the fun, stay for the horse fajitas. Knuckle <laughs> Dusters hashtag Horse Fajitas. Oh, Wilbur. Can't we have American food?
0: I think we just did a Herald, man. <laughs> we
1: totally did a Herald. The Didn't most entertaining Herald I've been part of, by the way, in my whole life. All due respect to people of Earth and other Herald teams, the Pat Shea dancers.
0: Uh, yeah, man. Blue Deep Chois. Right,
1: other you know, names I can't all remember. But uh passions. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah. Uh, this... Uh, they really got tough. The town made them tough. The performing made them tough. And let's get into some of our favorite songs from this. You mentioned Holly Gully. Holly Gully appears on some releases of this material, but it's not actually the Beatles singing it. It's not Cliff Richard, but it's it's a Cliff. It's Cliff something.
0: Oh, from Cheers. Yeah, yeah, Clavin.
1: <laughs> Ratzenberger, <laughs> but he became a like a right winger, didn't he? At some point,
0: did he? I don't even know.
1: You kind of see it on the show, right? Norm's a liberal. I mean, he's got the Cliff's... look. Yeah, yeah, right. he does have that look. But so holly Gully, not the Beatles. If you, There are versions floating around with that song, and you can tell it's not them. I think it was like a saxophone. Not the same Elephant's Memory saxophone, so it won't drive you crazy.
0: <laughs> no, or delight you to, to the nth degree. I've, I've, I've,
1: I will say again, the saxophone is the most offensive part of Woman is the Hmm of the World. It's not the title. It's the mix of the saxophone. But yeah, so uh, the other two songs <laughs> not performed by the Beatles were performed by the restaurants or by by the club's uh, o- owner and one of the waiters who are brothers. Yes, the Fasher brothers.
0: Yes, man. Yeah, Hallelujah, I love her so was done by Horst Fasher, uh, who I believe that was the waiter. No, owner. He was the owner, and then the waiter sings Be and that's Fred Fasher.
1: The- there's a part of that song I think we both absolutely (laughs) love where all of a sudden the song stops being in a, in a tempo It's like, it's in like, it's in like six, five.
0: Yeah. He adds an, (laughs) he adds an extra like bar to the first line of his song. So instead of coming in on the one, he comes in on like, what would then be the two, you know? So instead of like done, two, three, four, a B B B B, but he's like, One, two, three, four, a one, a a, bebop. Well, she's the
1: girl in the red, blue, not quite (laughs) singing English. It's
0: all shifted over one, (laughs) you know. So it's and so the bands, you know, that's one for the band. Like Ringo has to remember, like, oh, right, when this guy sings it, I add an extra beat just on this first part, you know, like a Dave Brubeck thing.
1: (laughs) Totally, it's 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 Brubeck. Uh, what's interesting about that song is both John and Paul covered that song on their oldies albums. That's one of those that has a big influence. I wish we had one of them singing it versus Horst Fasha. (laughs) So, uh, give me, give me a couple of your favorites. I'll give you a couple of mine.
0: Well, I love the version of long, tall Sally. That one is fast, man. That one is true. Punk rock, 1962 punk rock. It rips, it soars. (laughs) It's cool. It's a barn burner. Bring it on. Good work, Paul. Yeah, Good work.
1: that's a great one. I mean, you can hear the I'm down influence that was coming with his delivery of that. Rollover Beethoven's another one that I way prefer to the studio recording on with the Beatles. This one just, just pumps. I totally agree. Yeah.
0: Now, do you feel that John is represented enough on, on this? I feel like I hear mostly Paul, and I almost feel like I hear George more than I hear John.
1: That's Which is almost like the Decatapes from earlier that year, right? There's a lot of George on that.
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not... I think John was happy just being the leader of the band, right? Yeah, I guess. Plus, Paul was always kind of showboating, and I think part of what made them work is John was super cool with Paul to showboat early on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know John sings Sweet Little Sixteen and uh, a couple others I know. Oh, yeah, like Matchbox, you get to hear. I think that's George. I think George is the one singing Matchbox. Let's hear that, or that could be John talking out of the side of his mouth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I always heard that as John. Did you? Uh, John's John's doing the lead, even though it's all the harmonies. John's got the lead on Lend Me Your Comb. He's got Sweet Little 16. Paul doing Hippie Hippie Shakes, another great one that was only officially released, I think, when the BBC album came out.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: Paul doing that is amazing. Uh, The version, here's a John one. The version of Mister Moonlight on here, Sands, uh, hashtag Horatio Sands, organ <laughs> uh, is so cool. Part of the reason people give so much shade to Mister Moonlight, I know you're not among them, is Thank the kind of tre- the treakly organ solo here. It's a guitar solo, so it's it's a different take on it.
0: Yeah, one of my, I think my favorite one on the whole record though has to be Shimmy Like My Sister Kate. It's like, uh, great. Right? It's,
1: it's a talk about punk.
0: Yeah, that one is just so fun and. Seriously, if you if you if you hear 30 seconds of it, you've heard the whole thing, but they do it. I could listen to them do that for hours. It's just this progression that repeats and repeats and it gets more exciting with each one. That's one I wish they had recorded in the studio. Um I would have taken that over like Honey Don't or even things like Please Mr. Postman. Like, yeah, that's a good song, I suppose, but I don't know. There's something that's just so ex- much more exciting about Shake it like my sister Kate,
1: you know. I wonder if they ever did that for BBC. I know, I don't think it was released if they did on parts one or two, but I wonder if there's any other documented recording of that. Uh, I two of my it. favorites that I think you like as well uh, the Fat Swaller cover, Your Feet's Too Big, which yeah. is just kind of a cool, cool blues tune, kind of like a novelty blues tune that you can tell they're just having a ball doing. And Where Have You Been All My Life? I love that one. Which is which is an Arthur Alexander song, and they covered him with Anna Go to Him. Yes. Um, so they and uh so they done a couple and of Soldier Arthur Alexander of Alex- Love, right? And Soldier of Love, yeah. yeah, a couple other Arthur Alexander songs. Yeah, man. But that that one and that's got probably the worst audio on the record. You can hear the tape kind of just being started, but it doesn't diminish how fun it is. So those are two great ones. Some how crazy. That capital Apple EMI Universal has been sitting on this material, especially with technology now. So at 2022, maybe will be the 60th anniversary of the Star Club. I mean, what are they waiting for?
0: Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I bet someone somewhere will release it if there's a 2022. <laughs> If the, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Verdict's still out on that one. I will say, I noticed that there's a song called Reminiscing, but I was disappointed that it wasn't the Little River Band version.
1: Well, okay. I'm going to, first of all, two things for you. First off, is, hurry, don't be late. Not going to wait. I said to myself, God bless those three tight gened Australians. My Herald team. Uh, Yeah, two things. Trivia for you. One, the Beatles never covered the Little River Band. And two, this drumming on Star Club is not Ringo. Uh, Bernard Prudy overdubbed all the drumming on this.
0: Yeah, he made it sound like shit. Yeah. He recorded it in that Bonham bathroom, uh, but with the door closed, and that's why it sounds like that. Um.
1: (laughs) We used to watch Bonham's bathroom after Pee Wee's Playhouse every Saturday. And Pryor's Place, the Richard Pryor kid show. Yeah,
0: after remember I did that my mess. Pic- picture pages with <laughs> Bill Cosby.
1: <laughs> now you got your picture pages. <laughs> this is why our generation so fucking stupid, Tony. Um, well, at least we're trying. <laughs> yeah, at least we, we are definitely trying. So yeah, I mean, there's there, there's a ton of even some of the covers they later do a taste of honey till there was you which are again treakly Paul things have more life energy and street cred on this album than they do in their far cleaner studio versions.
0: I am with you wholeheartedly. Another one they used to cover it's not on it's not on this but they used to cover somewhere over the rainbow, not knowing that it was in the Wizard of Oz. They were doing, like, the Gene Vincent version of it.
1: I don't think I knew that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's crazy. I just thought it was crazy that uh, Wizard of Oz didn't make it over to Liverpool or I don't know what.
1: Just the black and white part. After the war, they didn't have color (laughs) projectors. So it ended with the tornado and then they rolled the credits.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, it, it's kind of a French short film that way.
1: The The Beatles were huge fans of that Hawaiian guy who used to sing Summer of the Rainbow who's only photographed in a pool. You know what I'm talking about? There's, there's a Hawaiian gentleman. Is this like a guy
0: in the Guinness Book of World Records or something? Those, The guys on the motorcycles or something? <laughs> I
1: don't know if that. There's a Hawaiian singer uh, who always sings Summer Over the Rainbow. With the ukulele. Don Ho? Don Ho? Not Don Ho. <laughs> Don Ho, <laughs> uh, my generation's Don Ho, um, Hondo, Hondo, <laughs> and, but he's always photographed in a pool, and now he's dead.
0: <laughs> oh, Brian Jones, that's how he went. You gotta be After careful. After playing
1: on, you know my name. Look up the number. Yeah, he played that. So any other favorites, right? I'm looking at the sleeve notes here that says also available on eight track cartridges and cassettes, which is so emblematic of its era. But yeah, I think we, we both agree. This is a great live album. I will listen to this. This is another one. The beauty doing the show with you. I think we say this every week is revisiting things that we haven't, in some cases haven't heard ever, or in other cases haven't heard in years. Like, I bought these albums in the 80s in, re- in real time. I would always listen, sometimes a couple times, but then they just kind of sit there. But in retrospect, what a gorgeous part of the Beatles history that more people who love the Beatles really should know.
0: Yeah. No, honestly, before we did this podcast, I don't think I actually sat down and listened all the way through. This is a record I never bought and I don't know why I think I think I did. I just kind of dismissed it as like a bunch of covers that i I prefer to hear original Beatles songs, as you may know and and you know, when I was shopping in record stores, I had a limited amount of money, so it probably went to like I wanted to hear whatever something else. um
1: you were saving up for Duran Duran's Seven and the <laughs> Ragged Tiger. <laughs>
0: No, I wasn't a and, I wasn't a Duran Duran guy. I would have been sa- here's what I would have been saving up for like Sound Effects records for my my homemade David Letterman shows and shit like that. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Or like, oh, just Paul Sh- like Paul Schaefer's Coast to Coast album. <laughs> which have Yeah, you ever heard which
1: that was one? that's that's a cocaine album. He got a single out of that <laughs> when the it's radio jukebox when right? the radio is on. When the radio is play, on. That's kind of like a Bobby McFerrin-y.
0: Yeah, he he performed it live on the Letterman show when it came out. I think it was 88 or 89. And uh, he wanted to get Carol King to sing backup vocals, but she couldn't make it. So he got Carol Kane from Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> and she was sitting between the two other <laughs> backup singers <laughs> singing. She sang on it.
1: Uh, good shit what was what was dave's album collection bit that was my favorite dave's
0: record collection dave's wider than a mile that was that was schaefer's song into it it's wider (laughs) than a mile he did moon river he sang moon river (laughs) but changed it to dave's record collection it's wider than a mile
1: (laughs) everyone every once in a while i found myself going and lick it lick it la 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 lick it. there was one that would just lick it
0: yeah that was the, that was the best so honestly that's still how i go record shopping when i go to a record shop now i i go to the novelty records or the the offbeat the weirdo records and you can still find some great stuff that's not streaming you can't get it on cd you know those great records
1: yeah, I, when I go to a record store, I'm the schmuck who's re. Ooh, I can, r- I can rebuy Walls and Bridges. It's the green budget label I don't <laughs> own for six ninety nine. That's 99 yeah. When I explain to my son I can't afford to send him to college, he'd be like, Well, you've got the mind games budget issue. <laughs> <laughs> so enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe you could, But yeah, yeah, so this.
0: <laughs> go ahead. I interrupted you. I interrupted no, I had you. a bit, but it, it was sour.
1: <laughs> Sour Bits of the Hallmark of the show. So, yeah, it's it's a great album. I mean, you know, if you can pick it up, I'm sure it's available used about everywhere, but until Capital EMI... You know, Universal, not on the core albums, but if you buy the Red and the Blue album on vinyl, you will see where the Apple used to be, the Universal logo, which is very strange. Yeah, The whole thing just feels... Because Universal owns EMI now, because there's three companies.
0: Yeah, all that stuff is just bonkers to me. I'm, I think I'm more of the, of like, Hey, I just want to hear the song. You know what I mean? Like, what's it sound like? And I think I, I think I, I like the trivia and the minutia, but when it gets into the business stuff, I, I can't, I, I
1: can't, I can't keep up with it. Yeah. I think I started collecting so young that my experience listening as an only child with headphones on to the stuff at six, seven, eight years old was staring at all the details of the covers the yeah. the SW yeah. you know catalog numbers and <laughs>
0: the, the I mean catalog numbers is deep. Were you also looking at like what the mastering engineer carved into the runout? What was carved and stuff?
1: in the, yeah d- d- uh, <laughs> totally in, in in the runout groove yeah and the, the different wow. labels. Why some purple cat the purple capital labels in the seventies the capital logo is massive. When they went back to the purple capital label in the late eighties they shrunk it mfd by capital became manufactured by capital like this stuff that i, I oh, that's to, wild to this yeah, day man. i can't solve one algebra problem but i can tell you about the c1 catalog editions of the beatles vinyl you know in the, i love it the late I 80s but, but this is one that never saw that it's been owned by capital and never released by emi or the beatles officially it's worth checking out it's, it's as close to punk Beatles as you're going to get. It's before Brian Epstein and George Martin really shaped them to be the biggest band in the history of the world.
0: Yeah, man. Pick it up. It's on Discogs and streaming on YouTube. Uh, enjoy it. It's fun, man. It's Little Beatles. Little...
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Hi, Little Beatles. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. That. You're so... Oh. <laughs> Tony, look, at a little Beatles. Oh, my, caringo
0: You know that's a fetish. You know, like, if you go to BeetleCon 2020, there's, you know, there's furry people that are into, like, the miniatures of the Beatles, and they're all in a hotel room
1: <laughs> jacking each other up. <laughs> that happens at BeetleFest as well, under the stairs at three in the morning when they're in that circle singing. <laughs> What kind of underwear did John wear on Revolver? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Beetle sniffers, we call
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> Beetle sniffers. Are you a Beetle fan? I'm not just a Beetle fan, I'm a Beetle sniffer. <laughs> yeah are you cool man <laughs> what do you mean well that was great Tony next week we got a lot more to come we're going to take a look at Ringo Starr's bad boy album we'll go track by track we might just have time for one track but you love the cover of Baby Baby Where Did Our Love Go the disco Ringo cover I got the 12 inch yeah man <laughs> that's, that's Ringo's improvised lyric during the fade out
0: yeah <laughs> If only he'd been instructed by Dell. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe.